Welcome to the Televerse, streaming in place. Avatar, the last airbender. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Streaming in Place. And this is week 19. We are talking about the series finale of Avatar, the last airbender, episodes 18 to 21 of book three, Fire, Sozin's Comet. And they each have an episode title. We'll get to that. But we have to just start by saying... <sighs> We're done. We're done with Avatar. We're going to talk about it today. Then tomorrow we're going to do our like series and season retrospective. Um, everyone who is listening, if you want to come hang out in the Zoom, then you can share your thoughts as well. Keenan, please send in your thoughts in some way if you can, even if it's through text. Um, but I'm very excited to hear what everybody thinks about the series as a whole. But the thing I'm most excited about first is to ask Allison, how do you feel? What did you think of this finale? Are, are you ready for it to be done or no? No, I'm sad. And, you know, I, for the most part, I'll say I was just, there's so much about this finale that's dazzling that I'm having a bit of a hard time sort of breaking down all of the little individual things that I think, right? Like, they're OTP, it's still, they're still 12 and 14 years old or however old they are, it just doesn't, uh, Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I don't think they quite pulled that off, um, but it just as I was watching it, it felt like the best superhero movie I had ever seen. You know, mm-hmm. like End Avengers Endgame could never, could never, um, and I just was so excited to watch the ambition and the scope. And partway through, I said to our close personal friend Keenan, um, who I was Netflix partying with. Uh, that I could not wait to listen to you, Kate, talk about the score. So that specifically is something I'm excited about. Um, they got to have a whole orchestra for the, these episodes. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's, I mean, it ju- and it was absolutely worth it. It's just amazing. Um, so I guess that my big takeaway is I was just so blown away by the ambition and by what they were able to achieve Um a lot of that having to do with the series overall, which we'll talk about tomorrow. But the scope of um, of this episode, I think, is really incredible and and uh, epic, suitably epic. Oh, great! I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Noel. What did you think? Did it live up to your memory? It does. Like it's it is incredibly epic, and everything about the all four of these episodes is just as Allison alluded to, incredibly ambitious, really beautiful. Um, like Joaquin DeSantos, who directed uh, episodes three and four, joked that they spent more on the fire effects for this than most shows, most animated shows spend on an entire season, um, which is ridiculous because there's so much fire in these four episodes. Um, but everything about it is just mind-blowingly impressive, and it looks it looks really, really good. It sounds great. Um, Allison, I'm glad you picked up on the music, um, because that's what Chorus sounds like pretty much for most of its run, which is also really impressive, especially the first season. The first season score is just phenomenal for me. Um, but yeah, that's that's what happens when you get a full orchestra um for your for your finale um it's what happens when most shows get a full orchestra is actually it sounds good Mm -hmm. um but everything about it is really exciting really interesting and yet i still have like little quibbles with it i have quibbles um that kind of get in my way of like fully embracing it um a lot of it just boils down to some of this happens way too fast 
and should have been built up more. Um, even if, yeah, no, they've been mentioning the lion turtle for eons, but it just kind of happens. Um, but we can get into it. I, my quibbles don't get distract from me from the fact that I think everything is suitably really exciting um, and feels deeply satisfying overall, apart from the Aang Katara stuff, which... He took a lightning bolt for her. Suku took a lightning bolt for her. Anyway. Yeah. I'm glad we have... I'm glad we have Allison here to be the one who is, like, really gung-ho. Because I like it a lot. It's great. It's a really terrific finale. It's very good. Um, But I walked away from it going, I think I like the season two finale better. (laughs) Um, And that's down to a few elements that I'm sure we'll touch on. Um, And mainly they sideline my girl Katara way too much. But um, the... I have some just issues with how, like, when, when Aang is in full Avatar mode, it's really uh, impressive, and it's really, like, they, they're going for a very elemental feeling, right? But for me, it's kind of boring, because he just kind of hovers there, surrounded by stuff, and, like, floats around in a ball, and it it's just so separated and divorced out from the, the emotion of the character that it's just you're watching a force of nature and it goes on long enough that it does it's not just the awe of it all like we like Marcus says I like the season 1 finale more um the 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 awe of the you know I'm the ocean now uh moment from the season 1 finale the spectacle of that I feel like it's significantly shorter and then here we keep cutting back and forth right so it robs it of some momentum and it doesn't have the same build uh in the same way because it's just as soon as he's in the avatar state it's it's over and that's sad that's great that's satisfying but then it just feels like he just spends a lot of time floating around before we get back to it being ang it's it is very very epic and because it is so epic i you know i feel like all of the um the the elements that we are most connected to the the character motivations and stuff have kind of gone away at this point and so we're watching really fantastic fight scenes and like we're watching boomy be amazing and this other stuff and and it's the spectacle is remarkable but i found myself being like i want more iroh i want more katara i want villains i'm connected to at each place so i can feel more of a narrative drive to what's happening as opposed to a plot mechanic drive and a let's watch characters we like be amazing um, so I, I was surprised to find myself just sort of like, yeah, that was really good and not like bubbling over with, I can't wait to talk about it. So I feel kind of bad for the listeners that I'm not more excited about it. Here's the th- a thing that I think is important to remember. Um, almost no shows have good series finales, mm-hmm. right? Like that's probably, there are lots of shows that have good series finales, but rarely are those series finales among the best episodes of that show, right? It's a really, really hard thing to do well. Um, to have one of your very best episodes be the last episode is difficult to pull off. When it happens, it's incredibly thrilling. Um, see the Americans for mm-hmm. one recent prominent example. Um, but it's, you know, more often than not, it, it ends up being 
somewhat unsatisfying. You have to stick the landing. It has to sort of please everyone. There's a lot to accomplish. Uh, and I think that this is a good series finale, which makes it... Hold on. Sorry. Um, the fact that it's a good series finale is by itself an accomplishment. Season finales are much easier to land because it's all it's also about promise, right? If you have too many loose ends at the end of a series finale... Um, you know, people are going to be frustrated. And here, but at the same time, tying up all of the loose ends feels way too easy and convenient. So I think that um, th this does a pretty good job of finding a, a good middle ground there. Um, and it does feel rushed. And it not all of it is as emotionally engaging as the rest of it. But I but I feel like for what it is, it does those things, almost all of those things really well. Um, aided in no small part by the fact that the most satisfying of those battles, for me at least, was Zuko and Azula, which was in like just all t 10, 10, 10, 10, 10s across the board, like all of it, all of it, w just incredible. The, the animation, the production design, certainly the score, which that's the point where I was like, I just can't. We should probably add an extra day to the calendar just so Kate can talk about the score uh, because that's all I want. Um, and that is when it really, at least when the second half of this finale really clicked into place for me is when that fight started and it sort of drove everything else. Yeah, no, I agree. The, 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 that was the best part of the fighting. The, like That was the best battle because that was when we were very invested in the narrative consequences for Zuko and also the most invested in Azula or most interested in Azula. Um, we have here, like Diego says, Ozai as, Ozai as a character d did not amount to much. Uh, Zhao and Azula felt more personal to our main characters. Marcus agrees. And so do I uh, like, imagine if in um, bossing say we still, we still had um, what's his name? The guy in charge of the Dai Li. Long Fang. Long Fang. Imagine if he was there fighting Boomy, like specifically. Like if if there was if we had gotten to know Ozai as a character, that then we could have had more connection to to you know, there would have been more you know, if, if there was a connection somehow with Ozai and with um some other part of the Avatar cycle, like if if, if Ozai had a connection to his grandfather and so then we could have the element of like the Roku and um, the Sozin, you know, el like reflected in it a bit more or something. I don't know how you do it. I'm not a writer uh, of this kind of thing. Uh, but the the per how personal that fight felt really gave it um, depth to match the spectacle, which was really impressive. Um, Keenan says, I didn't remember them mentioning the lion turtle, but I was still floored by it. It was so big and magical and grand. Yeah, they had mentioned it. A while back, they, like, dropped some lion turtle mentions that, of course, Noel and I knew to listen for. We know what that meant. But anybody watching it for the first time, you would just think it's just another animal that they're just mentioning. Um, we see uh, Keenan says, I actually kind of liked how elemental and big and powerful uh, Avatar Aang was because it felt awe-inspiring but also big and scary. And I kind of mourned the loss of Aang. And then it was moving and a relief to see him really decide to defeat Ozai and as Aang, a powerful bender rather than Aang, the super-powerful Avatar. Like, I think the payoff of him coming out of the Avatar state to defeat Ozai was really great. And uh, 
Excuse me. <clears throat> she agrees the uh, Zuko and Zula fight gave me chills. Uh, Diego says the battle was the requisite spectacle a series finale needs, but the moments after with them actually talking were infinitely more intriguing. Um, Marcus says that was the best part, firing on all cylinders. Um, and Diego says, don't want to focus on all the underwhelming things first, but like, yeah, I mean, like, let's let's get those out of the way and then we can just slather it with praise. Uh, Keenan says we also had the buildup of Azula's Richard III breakdown, which I thought was terrific. We Like, they, they really spent time with her, whereas we never have any reason to connect with why Ozai is doing this besides just, like, he's power hungry, I guess. And then you know, I would have liked to to see what Hamill would have done with that, with the, would have done with more. Whereas I feel like Azula's breakdown doesn't get enough space. Oh, okay. Like, that's my weird minority opinion about a lot of this, is that I feel like Azula's breakdown just doesn't get enough time or space. Um, especially since a lot of it starts here, and then, like, basically tapers off to getting rid of everyone in the palace. Um, and then that's that's it. Um, like, it, I needed, like, another episode of, like, Azula slowly losing her grip, basically, um, in ter- outside of the context of this. So, like, some in between of the Boiling Rock and then Ozai being like, you're going to be the new Fire Lord. <laughs> I'm just going to be the Phoenix King now. So, Marcus, I apologize. You didn't get Azula overthrowing the Fire Lord. Um, <laughs> not in the way... She became Fire Lord in the way she did not expect or really want. Um, so, I think that... For me, I just needed, like, a little bit more time, but it helps the fact that um, Grey Delisi is so good mm-hmm. um, in all of that. And then the sheer spectacle of her fight with Zuko. And then Katara waterbending and then time bending a little bit um, because, like, they're frozen in that water. It's not time bending, but it feels like it. It's just so cool, even so though cool. it's the only cool thing Katara gets to do in all of these episodes. That's wrong. <laughs> uh, Marcus says, I feel like the most important thing from the prison break was the breakup of Destiny's Child as opposed to rescuing the people. And yeah, yeah. because that's, that's a triggering or instigating event here. Yes. Um, and yeah. for me, it they did enough with that. And because it hasn't been that long, right? That's the other thing since that yeah, episode. That's fair. That for me, it tracked, but I can see what you're saying. Uh, Allison, how'd you feel about uh, the progression for, for Azula? See, I thought it was great. I spend part of this episode, uh, particularly once she's, you know, fully around the bend and talking to her mom in the mirror. Don't um, cut the bangs. Don't don't. Do yeah, this. yeah. She went. Um, <laughs> she went full Britney for a minute there, and at that moment, I to Keenan just said Britney, and she responded. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was thinking more like Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, but sure. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sure, Macbeth, but Britney. Um, <laughs> So, uh, you know, I I found myself thinking a lot about the flashbacks that we saw of Azula as a child, uh, which I which I don't have any reason to think about. Other than that, that's what the episode brought out. me. So I think that that's an indication that we've seen some of the seeds of this, of the paranoia, of the loneliness, of the fear of being rejected, all of which have sort of curdled and become acidic. So I agree with Noel that I would have liked a slower progression of this final stage, but I do feel like I understand the character yeah. better now. And looking at what we've learned about her over the course of these seasons, I now have a much firmer grasp on, on what 
um, drives her and the ways in which she's broken as obviously all of these youngsters are in some way. So, um, she still sucks, but, uh, <laughs> still sucks. Um, but it, it was rough watching her go down like that. Yeah. And if you want to find out what happened to Azula, you have to read the comics because she just kind of disappears. Yeah, that's a bit of an issue. I wonder what too. happens to her. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'd also connect that to uh, the beach, right? Her interactions mm-hmm. at the beach and her uh-huh. fears about uh, being ostracized and everything with the, with the, what was it? Ranjan and I can't remember who the I don't remember the other It's guys not Chad, yeah. but it's close. It's something like Chad. Marcus says, if Tylee and May were around, Azula wouldn't break down, and that's a huge force uh, they'd have to fight right there. It reinforces my belief that they did a bad job of raising Azula, what we see here. Um, the parents did. And certainly Ozai did, and goodness knows the mom was not around for most of her uh, childhood. Um, Keenan says, I like how things started to break down in a small way, like she thought she was late for the airship launch, then Ozai makes her fire lord, and she's like, yay, wait, what? And I was kind of there with her because I thought, oh, is this going to be a dream sequence? Maybe she thought that she was dreaming, and then she got what she wanted, but her dad still had ultimate power, and then things spiraled from there. I really do like, and I appreciate that we've already called it out, the, the bang moment, <laughs> and the design of the bangs as like a, oh no, oh no, no. Oh no, this is not good. Um, yeah, it it speaks to underdevelopment of the Fire Nation in general over the course of the run of the show, um, because we were spending all of our time pretty much with Team Avatar um, or with Zuko. We didn't. There weren't other people for us to watch her dis- get distanced from or turn on earlier in the season before the break with Destiny's Child. Um, so if there had been more, if we had more of a sense of the courts or something, then we could have seen her, like, her position at the beginning of the season and then her, like, sending people away and then they could have seeded that a bit more maybe. But, but yeah, it is certainly, um, it is certainly a dramatic shift for, for Azula. And yes, the parenting, oof, it's a, like, congratulations, Zuko. I know you're very angsty, but, like, it's amazing you turned out this normal. <laughs> How do we feel about uh, the the uh, old masters and our return of Boomy and Iroh <laughs> and Zhang Zhang and, and everyone? Surprise! Every mysterious old man you've ever met, they all know each other. <laughs> They're in a club. Um, it was great. It was I, the Zuko and Iroh reunion was everything I wanted it to be. Um, I think that both performances in that scene are really wonderful. Um, watching Boomy be <laughs> just, just, uh, just bonkers um, was a delight. Um, uh, what's uh, oh god? What is Katara's water bending master's name? Uh, Paku. Paku. Um, he's still not forgiven. I don't no. know why. No, like she hugged him. I was like, nah, no, you still suck. But other than that, was was very pleased with the revelation that the white Lotus is every mysterious old man we've ever met. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, what'd you think? I, I do like, I do like the, the payoff of the white Lotus, I think works well. Um, my takeaway from that episode is less so about those old masters and more about Aang's old past selves. 
um, as he's trying to figure out what to do. And all of them being like, yeah, buddy, um, you gotta kill the Fire Lord. All of us think so. <laughs> Sorry. Um, but I also enjoyed like the waterbender being just the waterbender avatar, um, Karuk, being just shy of basically being the dude. <laughs> um, I was just a go with the flow avatar, man. It's just like, oh boy. <laughs> to one in every generation is born. Um, so yeah, I, it's still really good, but it's just, it's that hug, man. It's that hug when Ira wakes up and just hugs Zuko and it's just like, I break. I just fall apart. It's just like, oh, I can't handle this. I want Mako in this scene more than I want Greg Baldwin, but I'll take it because yeah. it's just the hug and it's all very good. No, you're crying. No, there are onions in here. <laughs> it's so dusty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really handled very well. I was thinking, though, of Mako in that scene. Like, uh, I wish Mako could have... Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But... But I liked that that they did have, like, all of them return. It wasn't just, like, some of them. They're like, no, every single one. Everyone, everyone's coming back. It's, it's it's an all-skate. Everyone's coming back for the finale. Um, we're... Even June comes back. Yeah. With the sandal from book two. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good. I told you things paid off. <laughs> yeah. I, I also don't think it makes sense for the the, the her, her animal to not be able to track him because he's on the lion turtle. That doesn't make any sense but uh it was a it was a nice like misdirected moment you know it was cool uh i liked uh boomy he's like where's momo he's like oh he's with ang oh they'll be fine then because <laughs> he was yeah um keenan says i thought for sure dad was toast like i did not think that a hero's parent was gonna make it there was a lot of controversy in the kozuka bunker as to whether iroh would be making it out or not um including uh a similar guest to our, or not quite franchise. So it's, it's, I think it's called Ish, Allison, of not a franchise, but he has a, he does have a tea shop in the end. The, the, was it the Jade Dragon or something? Jasmine Dragon or something? Jasmine Dragon, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was a lot to enjoy there. Um, the thing, another, yeah, another thing that struck me watching this, uh, I don't actually have much to say about the music, except that I liked that they, when they pulled back, um, in the fight with, uh... Listeners, um, Allison's face when Kate says, I don't know that I have much to say about the music, was just such a look of shock. Yeah. Was amazing. <laughs> I mean, like... It was amazing. It's very good. It's very pretty. Um, they, they do the, um... The, the, when they pull back for the fight and instead go really minimalist, well, it's not minimalist, sorry, but minimal uh, with it. Right. Uh, that I thought was an excellent call. I thought it, was, it it really heightened everything else and then allowed them to save the the epic sweeping returns of the melodies they've been using all series and enriching with you know new instrumentations and and such uh, for the big Avatar fight for the for Ang's fight. Um, but yeah, for me there wasn't stuff that's stood out in a particularly notable way. It was a lot of the kind of scoring you expect for this type of a thing just done really well. And I, I do really like that That overall like, if you hear any scoring for Avatar, like in a trailer or something, it's that da 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 da, the kind of um, that actually was real. like, I feel like there was some really similar scoring in some of the Mulan trailers I was watching too, which I was like it's pinging in my brain. I could have that wrong. Anyways, point being, I thought it was really effective, uh, really affecting. I really like those um, melodies that they have. I like the um, scope of it, and I like that it did feel different. Like, this is, like, 
you know, signaling, this is not the eclipse. That was great and all, but this is the real thing. So, Allison, do you have further thoughts on the scoring? Mm, I mean, it was pretty. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'll say this. Um, my sort of anything, anything I might pretend to have a level of expertise in in music is always going to be related to either lyrics or vocals, neither of which would get here. Um, but I was way more aware of the music in these four episodes than I ever have been in the show before. And it's anecdotal, but as I was sort of reveling in the music and typing to Keenan about the music, Tom went, Oh my God, the music is so good. So, (laughs) um, so it was an experience we shared. Um, I the the scene in which it was the most notable to me is that Azula and Zuko fight. The I think the choice to be restrained there. It's a bit like the cheat that people use in movies where you don't hear somebody's anguish scream and that way you can imagine how anguished it is. Only it it, it was a silence of focus, not of artifice, right? Like they just weren't speaking. They were just like you know, grunting and hitting things and no one was cheering. And it was just like, they were the only two people in the world, which is how it should feel. Um, and I, it just worked like gangbusters for me. I also enjoyed the music in all of the sequences involving my sweet, precious baby Sokka. So that <laughs> who I, I insist we speak about at some point. We will, we will hear. Um, I will say that, um, in animation, a lot of times, uh, if you notice the scoring in a particular, like if it's really, um, you're catching, I was gonna say eye catching, but obviously, you know, if, if it really comes to the fore in your experiences, a thing that you're really noticing and it's an orchestral kind of, you know, scoring a lot of times I wouldn't be surprised if it's, Oh, they used actual musicians this time. And that's the difference. They could afford to pay an orchestra because most of the time in animation that does not happen. Um, they can maybe bring in a few people and then they do what they can to double it or to, to really build out from there. They have like bringing one instrumentalist and have them play like five different instruments and do, you know, do all that kind of thing. But like an or, having an actual or like orchestral score for animation is it's just it's for anything it's just really expensive and so yeah. it almost never happens um like i think of what what would steven universe and and what would adventure time and what would some of these other shows be if they had i mean i, I got a chance the chance to talk to the i think it was the the composer from gravity falls um about so the music and it's just like what like oh we we got to have two musicians for this one so it was really great you know like if they if they were just given a budget they could do so much and it would be so much more impactful i did a project on uh cartoon music in college for one of my classes and um like there there's just some really interesting elements about tv film like like animation scores like um i don't know if people know this uh seth mcfarland had in his contract for a family guy that every season he got to add another musician to the orchestra um (laughs) there's uh like there's like an old school kind of feel to the scoring for animation that harkens back to like your bugs bunny like old like old school because they used actual musicians and uh and that came back in the sound in like the the 90s uh with like the merry melodies and all of those like animaniacs because again and again they were using live musicians and there's just it's a very different 
sound, a very different sound to the exact same music, the exact same notes, like whether it's played by a machine or played by an actual group, it feels very, very different. So I, I'm guessing that's a big part of what, um, what, what you guys are, were hearing and connecting with is not just the notes, but the, the, the resonance and the overtones and the impact that comes from actually being played rather than simulated. Hmm. No. Oh, I was just nodding along um, because Kate knows how I feel about like orchestral scores and live in television, both like live action and animation. Um, so yeah, no, it's always better. Like, I mean, I think about the fact that like I grew up with Batman the Animated Series, which had a full orchestra it's for so good. every single episode. Shirley Walker, man. For every single episode. And it's ridiculous. And that that was for a 20 minute kids cartoon show. And you go, wait, what? How much money did Warner Brothers have? A lot. Um, and now everything's sort of sampled or done through some sort of sense. Um, even like our live action superhero shows, basically, there's no orchestra there. There's a couple of folks doing really good sample work. Um, but it's it's less impressive. Um, the only other thing I'll note is that when Kate corrected herself to say minimalist, post-minimalistic, I immediately thought about what a battle score with Philip Glass would sound like. <laughs> oh, you know it's been done. <laughs> it, it definitely has, and I need to hunt that down. Um, let's see. Yeah, because um, since I have to bolt in a couple minutes, um, one thing I do want to discuss with everyone is how do we feel about energy bending, which is what Aang does at the end to take away Ozai's bending. I know how I feel. Allison, how do you feel about it? Um, I mean, so it felt like a like a bit of a narrative cheat, um, and it is also uncomfortably close to some sort of lobotomizing situation for me. Um, but the the right ending was always going to be for Ang to find a way to do the right thing while being true to what he believes. And if this is the way that they could come up with for him to do that, then it was probably the right call. But yeah, when he had his hand, it was like, it just, it, it's such a, like a villain pose. When you, you look as though you're going into somebody's mind, you just, I don't know. That moment didn't sit particularly well with me. Yeah, I don't think it's the win they want it to be. Like, I, I think... It's like it's very creative. It's a good solution, a good like that's just step slightly over here to the side kind of answer. Um, but it's very disturbing too. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's as much a narrative answer as it is a standards and practices answer. Of mm -hmm. we can't let you kill him, even like with like watching a bunch of Fire Nation tanks get pushed by a wall of fire. We, the tanks don't, like, evaporate or melt with everyone in it. They just get pushed away, and we see people leave them and get out of them. Same thing when boomies start stacking them on top of each other. We see people get out of the tanks, so we know people aren't dead. Um, so it's a standards and practices issue that both fits with Aang's aeronomad philosophy and upbringing, which... The again, that entire conversation with his past selves, including um, Yang Chen, the um, whatchamacallit, the last airbender, the second to last airbender avatar, um, basically just like, you have to protect this world. Your sole duty is to the world, despite your personal ethics. And I'm telling you this as an airbender um, and as an air nomad 
you gotta get over yourself. And the show providing space for that to happen, like Allison said, feels as character-driven because they don't want that bad thing to happen um, for Aang. They don't want that moral compromise for him, that ethical compromise. Um, But it still feels a little weird and a little villainy. And I like that description because of how it get, even though they want to diametrically oppose them with a red and a blue sort of deal to f- finish that off, it still feels weird and odd, especially given the state that Ozai is left in in that last scene by the time Sokka, Toph, and Suki get there and he's just barely able to speak and by the end of that scene is just collapsed, drooling, vacant stare, open-eyed, which leads to that kind of lobotomy feel that Allison mentioned. Um, it's just... it. It's not the victory that you kind of want it to be, even if it feels immediately right. The moment when you start thinking about it, you go, this feels weird. Yeah. It feels weird. And also basically only works with the Fire Nation where the ruler has to be a firebender. Whereas eh, if you dethrone the Earth King, what happens? Because goodness knows the Earth King is not an earthbender. (laughs) (laughs) Bosco, an earthbender, not the Earth King. Well, before we wrap up here, thoughts on Sokka? Because I, I said I wanted a lot more Katara than we got. That was disappointing. I also wanted a lot more Toph than we got. But at least we got some really good stuff for Sokka. Toph gets that one great moment of tearing the shit out of that like cockpit. Mm-hmm. Just real great. And then gets nothing else to do. <laughs> but Sokka is so good in this. I don't know. I like Sokka and Toph as a team here. Yes. Yeah. Sokka understanding that he has to, that Toph has something incredibly valuable she can do in this situation, but she's also at a tremendous disadvantage because of her disability. So it's his responsibility to sort of figure out how the two of them can navigate that together. I thought was really cool. Um, Suki's hero shot mm-hmm. annihilated me. Uh, it was so great. It's like, oh, no, I'll see you at the finale. Right? Like, it <laughs> felt very much like, we'll see you at the end credits. And then, nope, she bounces back. Um, the boomerang uh, was amazing. Our, like, gripping of the fingers. And I don't think the boomerang's going to save the day this time, buddy. It just, bull. Uh, it was great watching Sokka use use the skills that they underlined in Sokka's master of it's not so much about the mastery of a weapon as about thinking about everything that you have at your disposal. Um, that was all of what was happening. So I thought that was actually really, really great. Uh, and I also desperately needed to laugh. And luckily, um, Sokka got some, got some good jokes. Good jokes yeah. in this one. There's a lot of good jokes in the Sokka and Toph stuff. Yeah. Um, Toph gets so many good jokes in this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Toph forever. Toph for president. Sokka's painting of everyone. <laughs> Very yeah. good. I think it looks great. <laughs> um, Noel, any final thoughts on the finale? It's still good. I, again, a lot of stuff I think doesn't, it just happens too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do agree that of finales, I think it's sort of like, it's the most exciting, but it's almost like the it's so much. So it becomes a little, um, it becomes a, almost a little numbing to a certain degree. Um, which then results in you wanting the awe of book one or the just massive emotional 
confusion of book two, which for me, I think is more my preference, but I always like to be emotionally confused. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that's where I end up with it. Um, but I'm looking forward to discussing the entirety of the show with everyone tomorrow and hearing everyone else's thoughts because there's so much. It's just so good. Um, there's just so much to keep digging into. So I'm I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. Me too. Um, a few other listener thoughts here. Diego says, it's such a well-trodden trope that I love secret societies of decent people. Great. <laughs> Go grab, grab. <laughs> um, Marcus says, it's white. The white lotus for the color of their hair. Um, <laughs> we have... Uh, uh, Keenan was talking about the music for Zuko and Azula. The music surprised me. It was so elegiac. Is that the word I mean? Yes, it is the word you mean. Mm-hmm. Um, excellent descriptor. Um, Diego says, Sokka sassing Ozai is truly the sign of a dishonorable defeat. Like, imagine going from Phoenix King to the subject of Sokka's jokes. What a day. Um, <laughs> Kina says, my perfect, terrible son Sokka was such a big goddamn hero. I'm so proud of him. While Katara is a badass, she needed more hero moments. Uh, Marcus, it was Deus ex Leo Testudo. Uh, if anyone has ever read The Wheel of Time, the magic system it has, it has a lot of similarities to avatars, and the en- energy bending thing made it seem even more so. I haven't read The Wheel of Time, uh, Diego, uh, Marcus, sorry, I haven't read The the Wheel of Time, but, uh, that's good to know. Marcus also says the Games of Thrones, the Game of Thrones, the travel, and yeah, def- definitely did that in, in this last episode. Um, Allison, final thoughts? Uh, I am so sad that it's over. I'm excited to talk about the series as a whole tomorrow. And the really, the one point that I want to make, my big complaint, uh, is that there was not enough of this guy. <gasps> you've got a, you've got a little Appa! Well, and, and this is Keenan says, her final thought, real Appa growling at Sand Statue Appa. Ah, oh, Appa buddies! Listeners, they both have Appas. I need to get an Appa, clearly. <sighs> I got. I was so worried he wasn't going to show up in time. I had to get it off of eBay, <laughs> and it showed up. This little guy traveled all the way to Chicago, Illinois, wrapped in a garbage bag that was duct taped together. <laughs> I was like, what hey, the hell? Appa is nothing if not a survivor. He is. He's very hardy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, toffs a sandbender and a metal bender, and I'm sure none of that will turn out poorly for anyone ever. Certainly. Ever. What? To be continued. To be continued. <laughs> yeah. And on that note, we're going to be back tomorrow to talk about season three as a whole, book book three, fire as a whole, and as well as reflect back on the series. Um, yay, it's been so fun. Look for, uh, Thank you to Marcus and Diego and Keenan for hanging out in the Zoom today. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye. 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 Bye.